So yesterday we talked about visual processing in the brain and now today we'll be discussing auditory processing which is the same as hearing. Now just to give a very quick overview, um, sound essentially gets processed, it enters the ear, it gets amplified and then transmitted to the auditory cortex of the brain via the auditory nerve. However, there's actually a much stronger neurobiological role to hearing and this is what I'll go into a lot more detail in this podcast. And most of the neurobiological processing occurs in the inner ear, um, and I'll get to that in a second. So um, I'll focus more on what happens in the inner ear and how signals get transmitted to the brain. And I'll give a very quick overview of how sound actually reaches the inner ear in the first place. So the ear consists of three main parts, which are the outer ear, the middle ear, and the inner ear. And these are pretty much arranged in the order of how they face the environment. So the outer ear is the comprises largely of the visible portion of our ear, which is in most contact with our surrounding environments. Uh, The middle ear is towards the middle, while the inner ear is is seated more inside our head. And it's actually quite deep inside um, our face, you could say. Um, It's around behind our eye probably that's where the inner ear lasts so it's clearly uh, the furthest away from our surrounding environment and so when sound actually starts off as a series of vibrations because in reality that's what sound really is it's simply vibrating air you could say so uh, when the air vibrates these vibrations enter the uh, ear through the pinna and the pinna is the outer portion of the ear it's the visible part that you can see where everyone gets ear piercings things like that and once it enters the pinna it goes through the ear canal and this portion comprises of the outer ear so it's the pinna and the ear canal it then goes on to the middle ear and the first place the sound gets transmitted to is the eardrum or the tympanic membrane and and the eardrum is a membrane which um is essentially tissue made of epidermal cells and it's quite small so it's about 8 to 10 millimeters in diameter which is around 0.1 centimeters um, in length and this eardrum because it's so small it when it vibrates it amplifies the sound and by amplify I mean that it makes the sound much much louder and this occurs because the amplitudes which is sort of the size of the waves becomes a lot larger and sound needs to be amplified in order for the hair cells uh, in our ear to detect it and I'll be getting to that very soon. So after it crosses the eardrum it reaches the three bones of the middle ear where it gets amplified again. Um, fun fact, these bones are actually the smallest bones in our entire body. And they're called the malleus, the incus, and the stapes. Or you can call them the hammer, anvil, and stirrup, respectively. But um, the names aren't so important. The point is that they connect to each other. And um, as the vibrations pass along these each ear bone, the sound gets amplified to a much larger extent. And this pretty much marks the end of the middle ear. So, so far we've covered the outer ear, which is the pinna and the ear canal. And then there's the middle ear, which consists of the eardrum or the tympanic membrane and the three ear bones, which are the the malleus, the incus and the stapes. And these can amplify sound to up to 20 times of their original amount because of the small size of the ear bones. 
And now here's where things get interesting. So the sound gets transmitted to another uh, another membrane similar to the eardrum, which is called the oval window. And this again is very small and it amplifies sound the same way as the eardrum does. But what it also does is vibrate fluid in the ear and not just air. And to understand this better, I'll talk about the structure of the cochlea first. Um, so the cochlea is essentially the inner ear. So I already mentioned that there is the oval window, which sort of separates the middle ear from the inner ear. But the main component of the inner ear is the cochlea. And the cochlea is quite a complex structure. Um, structurally, it sort of reminds me of a snail personally because it's kind of curled up and it has these three uh, these three curves sticking out at right angles to each other, which are called the semicircular canals. But the semicircular canals serve another neurobiological purpose, which is balance. And that's an entirely different topic, which I might cover uh, sometime later. But uh, we're more focused on the other portion of the cochlea, which is also sort of a curled up round region. So you could sort of think of it as a spiral. Um, so it's this spiral, and as it spirals, each um, it's divided into three parts. So there's the scala tympani, the scala media, and the scala vestibula. So the scala tympani is uh, located at the inferior or the bottommost region of the cochlea, while the scala media or the cochlear duct is in the center. And finally, the scala vestibuli is, guess what, at the top. And the scala tympani and the scala vestibuli contain a fluid called perilymph, while the cochlear duct contains a fluid called the endolymph. And the endolymph is more important. It's what we're concerned about here. And it's what's uh, largely responsible for converting sound signals into electrical signals that can then be processed by the brain. So now that we have this terminology out of the way, the let's get back to what happens. So as I said, the oval window amplifies sound and this results in the vibration of the perilymph. As I, uh, as I mentioned, the perilymph is present in the scala vestibuli and the scala tympani. And this vibration of the perilymph consequently results in the vibration of the endolymph in the cochlear duct. Because um, if the fluid from both above and below the scala media or the cochlear duct vibrates, then it passes on those vibrations to the cochlear duct, which is sort of wedged in between the other two layers. And this transmission of these sound vibrations actually occurs through two membranes. There's the Reissner's membrane, which separates the scala vestibuli from the scala media. And then there's the basilar membrane, which separates the scala tympani from the scala media. So um, these two membranes essentially vibrate upon the vibration of the perilymph. And the vibration of these membranes is what consequently vibrates the endolymph present in the scala media or present in this cochlear duct. They, those two are the same things. But it's not really the vibration of the endolymph that ultimately results in the conversion from sound to electrical impulses. The main, let's say, the main role players in this process are actually tiny little hair cells. And these hair cells are located in a region called the organ of corti. And this organ of corti is present in the basilar membrane that I talked about. The basilar membrane is what, is what separates the scala tympani from the scala media. 
So what happens is, um, a quick overview, once the endolymph vibrates, then the hair cells vibrate and they convert sound to electrical signals, which are then transmitted to the brain. However, how does this actually happen? So the endolymph is actually very potassium rich. So it has a high amount of potassium ions, which means it's positively charged. And when the hair cells are stimulated, they essentially get depolarized, which means that their voltage-gated ion channels essentially open. And when this happens, the large amount of positive ions in the endolymph rush into the hair cells. And because of that, hair cells become depolarized. And this depolarization is then transmitted to the auditory nerve, which connects to the cochlea and transmits uh, the signal to the auditory cortex present in the temporal lobe of the brain. But how does this actually happen? What are the underlying mechanisms for the hair cells to depolarize in the first place? Well, so the hair cells are covered by a membrane called the tectorial membrane. And the tectorial membrane essentially covers the hair cells or the stereocilia and it holds them in place. And so if you think about it, while the basilar membrane moves and the tectorial membrane covers and sort of holds in place the hair cells, then this causes the hair cells to essentially bend. And this bending increases the tension within the hair cells and this sort of forces the influx of ions which is the depolarization that I was talking about earlier. And then the depolarization gets transmitted to the cochlear nerve, the auditory nerve, the vestibulocochlear nerve, um, but essentially it's the auditory processing nerves and these get transmitted to the brain. Now here are just some interesting facts about these very fascinating tiny hair cells present in our inner ear. So there are approximately 15,000 hair cells in each human ear. And they're actually very specific to each frequency. So every single hair cell present within the ear only fires or only depolarizes if it detects one specific frequency, which is why we have partly why we have so many hair cells in the first place. And interestingly, these are actually arranged in order. So um, the hair cells detecting high frequency sounds are actually located near the base of the cochlea. And that's closer to the oval window or closer to the round window or to the eardrum. While by contrast, the lower frequency sounds, which are generally the deeper pitches, uh, are located near the apex. And that's sort of at the end of the cochlea. And that's very interesting. So it means that um, the higher pitch sounds which are equivalent to higher frequency and the lower frequency or the lower pitch sounds are processed differently based on their location and it's actually structured in a very ordered manner and this uh, phenomenon is called tonotopic organization so just to quickly recap there's the um, outer ear and the middle ear which we already talked about and then there's the inner ear containing the cochlea the cochlea contains the scala tympani, scala media, and the scala vestibula, which are located from uh, bottom to top, respectively. So the vibrations from the oval window transfer to the perilymph in the scala vestibula and the scala tympani. And these, uh, the, this perilymph vibrates to uh, vibrate the Reissner's membrane and the basilar membrane. The basilar membrane vibrates uh, to stimulate the hair cells in the organ of corti, and these hair cells depolarize and transfer their signals to the brain through the cochlear nerve. 
So this concludes what we've learned about auditory processing so far. And this is essentially the overview of how auditory processing in the brain and in the inner ear actually works. However, there, there's a bit of more information that I'd like to talk about. And these are, um, I specifically like to mention two factors that also influence or help enhance the auditory processing experience. So the first one is uh, the outer hair cells. And there are three rows of outer hair cells that are present um, in the organ of corti as well. And interestingly, they can actually alter the sensitivity of the inner hair cells firing because these outer hair cells essentially contract and relax and they change shape to ultimately change the stiffness of the tectorial membrane. And this change in stiffness of the tectorial membrane constantly affects um, the extent of depolarization of the inner hair cells. So that's how these outer hair cells sort of regulate the depolarization of the inner hair cells. And another protein which has an amplifying effect on the uh, transmission of electrical signals is a protein called prestin. And this is in fact coded by a single gene called the SLC26A5 gene. And essentially the point is that this heightens the impact of the inner hair cells. So when these inner hair cells are bending and depolarizing, the prestin protein essentially shortens. And because it connects the outer hair cells to the basilar membrane, its shortening pulls in the basilar membrane and makes it bend more or vibrate more. And this increases the deflection of the inner hair cells. By contrast, when the inner hair cells are resting or they're um, in a hyperpolarized state, then Preston similarly relaxes and this um, reduces the tension or the pressure on the basilar membrane. And because of that, the uh, depolarization decreases and the extent of neural signals transmitted to the auditory cortex decreases. So these are just two of the modulatory processes that are also present within the ear to um, help to help regulate and to help amplify the sensation of sound. So as you can probably tell, and as you've probably seen uh, through this podcast, um, processing a sound is actually quite a complex phenomenon. And that's why it's so easy for it to go wrong. There could be problems with the auditory nerve, with maybe the genes encoding Preston, for example, or even with the inner hair cells. Maybe the inner hair cells lose sensitivity or the eardrum, which gets damaged, is is unable to transmit or amplify sound waves entering the ear. And all of these are uh, reasons for deafness or partial deafness. And in fact, there are uh, there are s- treatments or solutions. For example, there's a cochlear implant. And uh, this is to help those who have damage to their hair cells. So the cochlear implant essentially bypasses the, uh, the role of the inner hair cells and directly stimulates the auditory nerve based on signals it receives from its environment. And just to quickly provide an overview of how this occurs, there is a microphone that essentially detects sound and then this um, uses converts the sound to an electrical signal through a transmitter. And this is received um, through a receiver, which then consequently stimulates electrodes that then stimulate the auditory nerve that reaches the brain. So 
essentially these electrodes sort of perform the process of the inner hair cells, which is to stimulate the auditory nerve. And that's how, uh, that's one of the treatments for the numerous problems that can occur with auditory processing and the nervous system.